0: Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, Zell Anderson, Licensed Professional Counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. So, if you recall, the last episode was part one of a kind of review of a chapter I've been doing uh, within Justin Baldoni's book, uh, Man Enough Undefining My Masculinity. He writes a chapter called Privileged Enough The Reality of My Racism and White Male Privilege, is the title of the chapter. Um, And so, in part one, Uh, obviously I had initially planned on this just being one episode, but as I went back to edit, I realized that it was a really long one. So I split it in two. So um, it may seem abrupt that I'm just jumping into this next episode, but know that it's because I I sliced an episode in half. So there's a couple more examples uh, that the author gives of how white privilege and racism by Ignorance almost uh, has played out in his life. So I'm going to share kind of a summarized list that he gives. Quote In addition to telling Kay that I don't see color, here are other examples of some things that I have thought, said, posted, and tweeted that I have only recently come to learn are indicative of the racism that exists in me. My first friend was a black girl, he was a great athlete, as are so many young black kids. It wasn't about race, man. No need to make a scene. Some of my best friends are black. Black lives matter, and so do blue lives, and so do all lives. We are one human family. Unfortunately, the list is much longer, and I'm sure that I will need to add to it as I continue to learn, unlearn, and relearn what it means to be a man, and specifically what it means to be a white man in this time and in this culture. Another example of a racial microaggression happened when I was with one of my best friends, Jamie. Jamie was one of my groomsmen, and we were looking for the shirt I was going to wear on my wedding day. I didn't have much money at the time, but this was the shirt I was going to get married in, so we wanted it to be nice. We grabbed Starbucks and walked into an upscale shop in Los Angeles carrying our drinks, As I walked in, I nodded at the employee and walked right past him with my drink in my hand and headed to a nearby rack, while Jamie went to the other part of the store and looked at the shirts in that area. Just as I started browsing the overpriced shirts, I noticed an employee go up to Jamie and rather than saying, hello sir, may I help you, he said, you can't be in here with that drink. Hearing this, I walked over with my coffee, confused, as people in LA carry their coffees wherever they go all the time, and I've never been told I couldn't have one in a store. Now Jamie, having been in this situation thousands of times over the course of his life, knew exactly what was happening, but I was oblivious. The employee was white, it was a fancy store, and Jamie was a black man dressed very casually. Jamie jokingly replied to the employee, Okay. Do you fear I'm going to spill it? The employee says, well, the shirts here are very expensive to which Jamie responded. And you think that I can't afford to purchase them. Should I tumble and fall and spill my coffee on your very expensive shirts. Now I know Jamie well, and he has a magical way of making a point and dropping some serious truth while also disarming you with his humor and tone. It's one of the things I love most about him. So I start smiling, thinking the employee will just go away and let us shop, but he doesn't. So Jamie continues. I'm looking to spend money in your shop, and you're concerned with me holding a closed coffee? Why is he, pointing to me, allowed to hold his coffee and no one's asking him to leave? In fact, he is being helped by your co-worker. I then jumped in, being the good peacemaker, read problematic white man, that I am, played it down, and said to Jamie, it wasn't about race, man. We should go because they don't have the shirts I'm looking for anyway. Jamie then got quiet and walked out of the store. As I caught up to him, he turns to me and asks why I didn't speak up. I said I didn't think it was big enough deal to make a scene and it was just a policy of the store. Then Jamie lost his shit. Rightfully so. Justin, I love you, but you are choosing not to get it. You mean a policy for me. No one asked you to leave. No one doubted your ability to pay for the items in the store. No one thought you were going to trip and fall and spill coffee all over their shirts. But not with me. This shit happens to me all the time, Justin. My response? I got defensive. I went to the well intentioned white man in me that doesn't want to be placed on the bad side of the racism binary. I started listing all the things I did see, the times I had noticed, the ways I stood up for racial equality and tweeted about justice. In other words, I again made the conversation about me and my intentions. I centered myself in my experience and not his frustration or pain when in reality, the situation called for it to be about Jamie and the impact the action of the employee and the inaction of me, one of his best friends, had on him. We then approached another store a few doors down and Jamie, still heated, walks into this new store and says to the employee, who was a black man, hey man, I got this coffee in my hand, can I come in the store and browse around? To which he responded, if you're thinking about spending money in here, you can bring whatever the hell you want in with you. You see, this new guy didn't see Jamie being black as a reason to dismiss him. Even then, in my discomfort and ignorance, I just laughed it off not really getting what had happened. I just wanted everything to be fine and cool and comfortable. And in doing so, dismissed my friend's entire experience while believing race had no part in it. Jamie has experienced the bee stings almost every day of his life. And so his relationship to bees is different from mine. It was as if he were telling me that he was stung by a bee and hurting but because I failed to see the bee, I chose to say, I don't know, man, are you sure? Maybe you weren't stung. Meanwhile, he has a stinger in his damn arm and his skin is beginning to swell. What matters more in that moment, my intention or the impact of the sting? In relationships, impact must always outweigh intention. But too often, especially when I'm being called out, whether it be by Jamie for not seeing a racial injustice or by my wife for interrupting her, my default has historically been to get defensive and reiterate my good intentions. I also wish I could say that was one of the only times a situation like that happened, but unfortunately, Jamie had been trying to tell me about his bee stings for years. In hindsight, I have realized that it was simply easier for me to choose ignorance than to make the choice to educate myself. I found it easier to defend the intentions of the white man who didn't mean anything by it than to defend my friend. This is perhaps the most difficult part of getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. This is part of the pause before responding, especially when my initial reaction is to defend myself. Often my defensiveness is a good indicator for me that I need to shut up, listen, and reflect. This is part of taking the risk to peel off the mask I've hidden behind, look critically at myself, and acknowledge that maybe I don't know everything. And maybe I have been on the wrong side of history before. Maybe I have been ignorant of my privilege and of the full spectrum of racism that very much exists in our society. Maybe I have some work to do. Because if I exempt myself from the work, then I place the burden and responsibility on the same people that are being oppressed because of their race. End quote. And remember, uh, as I'm recording this, there uh, it's Thanksgiving Day. There are it's after dinner time, so the neighborhood kids I think are just running around burning off some of that delicious Thanksgiving food that they've been enjoying. So if you hear some screaming and Uh, noises in the background. That's just what's going on in my neighborhood at the time that I'm recording this. Quote, I can't recall the first time I came up against the concept of my white privilege, but I can absolutely recall the ways I have been deflective and defensive about it. But I found that I have had a misconstrued, misunderstood idea of what white privilege was. When I first started leaning into the idea of male privilege, I felt like I was being told that I didn't work hard, that I didn't actually earn the job or promotion, that my sacrifice and hard work were invisible and I was being told I only got whatever it is I got because I'm male. I said things like, I worked my ass off to get here, nobody gave me anything, and I earned all that I have. I felt like anytime someone said the word privilege or insinuated that I had it, I would become annoyed or angry. I felt like I was being robbed of my individual story and struggle. I felt the same way when white privilege came up, but my defensiveness was a sign of my ignorance. I think of privilege like the 110-meter hurdles and track. First of all, in a very literal sense, I am privileged to even be able to be on the track running that race because a person in a wheelchair could not participate in hurdles, and he— has way fewer opportunities to participate in any form of track than I do. So right off the bat, that's able-bodied privilege. Does that mean I didn't train my ass off, that I didn't drink enough water and eat enough nutrients? No, it simply means that I have an opportunity, an advantage not available to everyone. Figuratively, I think of privilege like the hurdles in the sense that we are each running our own race, in our own lane and yet we each have our own set of hurdles or barriers, in our lane on the way to the finish line. Oversimplified, white privilege means that the color of my skin will never be a hurdle for me, just like male privilege means that my gender will never be a barrier for me. It doesn't mean that I won't have hurdles, that there isn't struggle, that I'm not working hard. It just means that my skin color will never work against me, and in a society built on such such a deep racial divide, not having a race hurdle not only doesn't work against me, it often works for me, in the same way that being a male in a patriarchal society works for me. If I'm able to see clearly how my able-bodied privilege is at play, then maybe my white privilege isn't as invisible as I thought. Maybe once I start looking at it, looking for it, it becomes undeniably visible, like male privilege. Here are some examples of white and or male privileged. Based on the most recent survey in 2018, for every dollar earned by white men, white women earn only 79 cents. Black women earn 62 cents. Hispanic or Latino women earn 54 cents and indigenous women earn 54 cents. I can easily find band-aids and flesh tones that more or less match my skin tone. People who look like me are largely represented in media, entertainment, leadership positions, Congress, the Oval Office, and in education. In fact, my entire education was centered around people who look like me. I didn't have one black or indigenous teacher over the course of my education from kindergarten through high school and it wasn't until I typed those lines that I even stopped to think about it. I can easily find children's books that have characters who look like my children and that have a family structure like ours, but I have to go out of my way to find books that feature diverse characters and stories. I can also, generally, have a positive relationship with the police. In fact, there was a time in the fall of 2014 after the murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, that I was driving home and saw a black man being pulled over by police. I decided in that moment to pull over on the opposite side of the street. I don't know exactly what I was planning on doing other than readying myself to take a video or potentially intervene if things took a turn for the worse. And by the way, who the hell was I to think intervening was even an option for me? That right there is a sure sign of white privilege. See... When that black man was pulled over, even before he stopped, he rolled his window down and he threw his hands out of the window and waved his ID like a peace flag. I had never seen anything like it in person and seeing it crushed me. Do you know what I think about when I get pulled over? My first thought every time is, I hope I can get out of this. Meaning, I hope I can get myself out of this ticket. Even though most times I was guilty and deserved a ticket. In that moment, I realize, while I think about getting out of a traffic stop without a ticket, a black person is hoping they can get out of a traffic stop alive. Thankfully, this man did. End quote. Earlier on, I um, gave like a quote of his summaries of like missteps that he's made regarding race, um, and one of them was talking about how, like, He basically said, well, black lives matter, but then he went on to say, like, blue lives matter, all lives matter, and stuff like that. So this quote is kind of his, um, based on gaining awareness, his revision of that understanding. So, quote, as I have learned the hard way, when we say that black lives matter, we are not saying that black lives matter more than anyone else's. We are not saying that the lives of police officers don't matter or that all lives don't matter. We are simply saying that all lives cannot matter until Black lives finally do, end quote. And so later on in the chapter, he kind of shares about uh, one example of how his white privilege played a part in his acting career. So I'm going to share that example here, and then I'm going to kind of conclude with uh, his final, uh, part of his final remarks on this topic of white privilege. So, quote, one of the first roles that I had booked was an Iraqi prince on a TV show in the early 2000s called JAG. I remember walking into the audition room where there were probably 10 other guys there to audition, every one of them Middle Eastern. Guess who got the part? The white guy. When I asked if I should learn an Iraqi accent, the producers told my manager not to worry about it, that I was Americanized. When it finally came out on TV several months later, guess what had been done? My voice had been dubbed. They took a Middle Eastern man's voice and put it over mine, so it was my face with his voice. I can only imagine what it would feel like for the Middle Eastern actors who were finally getting the chance to audition for the role of a prince. A welcome break from the usual terrorist or Islamic. Islamic extremist roles they are pigeonholed into, only to have a very not Middle Eastern man, a white man, come in and take the role. This is an example of whitewashing that has taken place throughout our country's history. And so, of course, it takes place in Hollywood too. End quote. And so the final quote that he gives is, uh, or it's not the final quote of the chapter, but it's kind of the last one I highlighted, so I just want to share it. Um, to kind of wrap up this um, two-part kind of discussion on this chapter of his book. So quote, white privilege is not a free pass by any means. At the same time, I can no longer ignore that overarchingly white people are not oppressed in the same way that black people are. We are not judged, pulled over, enslaved, imprisoned, or killed in the same way. End quote. So listeners, thank you for uh, sticking with me. Um, hopefully it wasn't too confusing that I split this uh, conversation into two parts. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't overwhelm y'all with the the episode going on too long. So hopefully the two smaller episodes uh, w- made it a little bit more digestible. But like I said, I really love this entire book by Justin Baldoni. It's called Uh, Man Enough, Undefining My Masculinity, and it has a lot of great uh, topics in there. So I'm glad that in this third reading of this book, I was able to really focus in on the chapter about race, racism, and privilege, and to be able to share some of those insights with y'all. So thank you for listening, and until the next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.